All right. I managed to get somebody to come back. <laughs> um, Jason's come back, um, and I'm celebrating my 500 downloads of the podcast, which um, we were just chatting about is, to me, it's a pretty big accomplishment, right? Like, um, and you, as I'm sure through your art days, it's like you have to mm-hmm. put yourself out there and watch it kind of incrementally grow and right. sell something here, yeah. catch some success there. And um, I'm lucky that I'm in the age of the internet where it can flow out and then it gets more touches, right? Right. Like, I'm sure it would have been harder how many years ago when you started drawing to like, like, where do you even start in Regina, Saskatchewan to like, hey, look at this. Like, it's... Yeah, I mean, you would have your local shops, but other than that, I mean, there weren't even comic book shows in Saskatchewan at the time, right? Like, there was nothing. So you had um, a very small window of opportunity. Most of the stuff, anything I got feedback on was stuff that I had sent out to either syndicates or publishers and then you get back you know your rejection letters or letters where they would give you some tips and advice or they would tell you you know oh you should really focus on item x in in your portfolio and um, that was helpful but it wasn't immediate like you'd send stuff out and then maybe you know a year later sometimes you'd get a a letter back Um, i think my favorite rejection letter of all time was DC Comics. I sent them in a sample of wow. some pencil art and I got back a letter to thank you for your lettering sample. We'll keep you on file. And I was like, I didn't even send you lettering. I sent you pencils. <laughs> so I knew I'm like, they didn't even look. <laughs> like, they just looked at your writing on the envelope. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. That's lettering. nice. He's got nice penmanship. Let's, let's, let's put this guy off on the side. So, I mean, and that can be disheartening a bit. I think when you're, when you're young, like, cause I mean, I was only, 17, 18 when I started sending stuff out the door and I had zero frame of reference and there's no there's no guideline. I mean, there wasn't a, a internet at the time, right? So you couldn't go online and ask for tips on how should I submit my portfolio or blah, blah, blah. But I remembered reading in, um, I think it was Wizard Magazine, uh, Todd McFarlane said he, had, he was sending out something like 50 or 60 packages a month Holy crap. to everybody. Marvel, Dark Horse, you know, all the major players that were around and he did that for I think a couple of years before he got in the door you know so I mean that told me well you know I mean if somebody at McFarland's level had to struggle to get in the door then you know it's going to be a big struggle to get in the door because I wasn't at McFarland's level right so so I think that that's the um, the key is you gotta you have to find your niche you have to find where you fit in and and so I, I've been lucky enough to find mine. Yeah. Uh, I remember yeah. Joel said he had a website that where it was a nice hub where you would put stuff in. Right. But yeah. he's a lot younger than us also, yeah. right? So then it's like he had a lot more of the instant like, here's what I drew and then you can get feedback or like, yeah. I think there was a lot of like online competitions too where it's like, yeah, and you're getting like instant recognition or at least eyes on it immediately and like, hey, I like right. this. Hey, I don't like this. Hey, work on this. So like, he yeah came around in a lot easier of time too right like yeah and and i find that that that's great right now for me too because like i've built a community online of friends who work in a variety of industries for for art like i have friends that do like joel more the fantasy stuff the trading card game stuff the movie tv production sort of stuff and then i have people that are, are working in animation that I'm friends with and people that are in character design. I have people that are in, you know, cartoons. 
uh, like political cartoons or just the newspaper strip cartoons. And then I have lots of friends that are comic book artists that do like Batman and Superman and things like that. And I find if I'm looking for, if I ever need to, to get any advice on something or if I want to just check and see if I'm going in the right direction or if I'm proud of something, I just want to show somebody who I know won't tell everybody about it because usually you can't. When I'm sharing something, it's like I can't share it with everybody because I'm contractually not allowed at yet um, because sometimes it's it's a project that's just beginning like to be put together. Um, it's nice to have that that feedback because people that are that are working in the industry, they're not going to... I mean, it's not like showing it to your, your buddies, right? Your buddies are all going to... They feel invested in you as a person, so they have to say they like it, right? Like, whereas somebody who lives halfway across the world from you, who knows you but doesn't really know you, isn't going to say, "Oh yeah, that's great. You should keep going that way." They'll say, "Oh, you know, I noticed it on this page. You know, you were a little heavy-handed on this part here," and, and gives you some idea of what to go back and sort of take another look at, or you know, if you're or if you're on the wrong track, they'll tell you, "Well, you know, maybe you should rework this a little bit." And and now that I'm fully digital, it, it's it's amazing, uh, like reworking a page it takes no time I did one last night completely redid the page wow and it, I mean I didn't start off my evening planning that it's just I was looking at it and it was bugging me so I thought well if it's bugging me and it hasn't even seen print yet I might as well just fix it and the way I work digitally is I, I, I put my backgrounds in their own layer and I put my foreground in its own layer and my, my middle ground is its own layer so usually the middle ground is characters or, or things like that. And so I could separate the parts of the image I didn't like and I could just delete them. So I deleted the entire background, <laughs> drew a whole new background last night, <clears throat> and I'm way happier. <laughs> is there a less is there less a feeling of loss now starting over? Yeah. Yeah, big time. Yeah. I'm assuming before when it was just pencil, you had to like get the background just right before you yeah. decided to move on to like like you said the middle ground and like yeah. make sure everything was like spot on in your heart pretty much before you start coming forward with it right yeah I used to what I would do is I would pencil stuff and I'd leave it for a day and then I would come back okay because you're you're not as attached to it the second day you know what I mean like you come back with fresh eyes and you look at it again and you go uh, well not no, this part's not so great and you can kind of erase and, and fix things um I find digitally I do the same thing. I kind of leave it and then I move on to the next page and then I come back and look at it later on and I go, this one's not as good as this one. Or, or I look at them together as a set. That's the advantage you have now with, with digital is you can, you can sort of see your whole book on one screen. I guess, yeah. It's... And so I can look at, for example, last night I'm working on a 24-page book and the page I redid was about midway through the book and it just really stood out versus the rest of the book visually it just didn't look like it fit so it bugged me so I pulled it up and then I looked at the one before it and the one after it and I was like ah, I just I just I just don't like it is and this so, out of your eye or did you get someone else to kind of like eye. okay yeah I was just looking at it and I just thought this, it just didn't it didn't stylistically fit with what I was doing you know and, and that can happen when you're working on a project over a month um you know, you might you might approach it differently from day to day. So so I just basically redid the whole page in one sitting last night. Um, and I left it on my screen and went to bed. Got up this morning and looked at it and I still liked it. So we'll see if I still like it when I go home tonight. <laughs> I may end up redoing it again, right? Like 
But I mean, I think that's important to be critical of your own stuff before it goes out. Um, I don't worry about whether or not other people are going to like it. I just worry about like when this is all put together as a thing, does it all fit? Yeah. You know, and, and will it look good? Because if you're trying to please everybody, you're never going to find success. Like you have to, you have to be happy with it first. Right. So when I put it out there, if it's, if I'm not happy with it, then nobody's going to be happy with it. Right. Not, not in my eyes. I mean, there'll probably be like five people that like it, but I want to be happy with it when I, when I hand it off. Cause it's like, this is my business card. Here's my, you know, the thing that might get me the next job, right. Is this thing I just did. So I have to like it and it has to be good. <laughs> So, is there an art then to like pacing yourself so that you have the time to go through all these things, like not taking yeah. on too many projects? Because then you like, I remember when we talked last time, you said that your weakness or not weakness, I guess, how did you describe it? You said hitting deadlines, like you had to hit them, right? Like, yeah, yeah, no, I, I'm somebody who doesn't like missing a deadline for sure. Like, it, it, it's to me, that's that's your it's not just your reputation, that's that's your your work, right? You're telling a publisher that they can go ahead and, and tell people this thing will be come out on date X because I'll have it in by date Y and give you enough time to get it ready for print. So um, if I've signed on to something and, and I've agreed to a date, that's the date. So it's up to me from that point on to figure out what do I have to get done to get that thing done by that date. And I've actually got, this year, I've done a really good job of um, not taking on a lot of projects because I, I've already got, I kind of knew my year was set already. Like I already had enough projects in the list. So with with a reoccurring, you know, magazine job, it, it means that that part of my, my calendar is already full. So I know that I already have pages that are spoken for. Um, and then they've increased our page count. So now it's like, oh, I have another page I have to add into that count as I'm going along. And you only have so many pages a year you can put out. So um, for me, I know my magic number and, and I don't want to go above that because if I do, then I'm not going to make any of my deadlines. It's why I don't do a lot of commission work because I just can't squeeze it in. Like it would be nice. You know, the money is always nice when people want to do a commission. Um, but if I haven't blocked off time to do commissions, then I'm stealing time away from the thing I should be regular work that I've already said I would do and I'm either going to reduce the quality on the thing I already agreed to do or I'm going to reduce the quality on the commission and I don't want to do either because somebody's expecting a certain level of quality I mean I'm a cartoonist it's not a high level but you know they're expecting a level of quality out of it and and so I try not to take on more than I can Um, and, and like this year for sure I've done a really good job of that I mean I know I uh I know I've got work right up until January 1st. So, oh, right on. So I'm set. Um, but I haven't taken on more than I can because I don't want to. Um, that's what we were talking a little bit before we started recording about. I have um, several personal projects that, I, that I've that i worked on over the years. And I've got a whole bunch of comic books ready to go to print on my hard drive that I just haven't had time to actually sit down and format. Like the artwork is done, the lettering is done. But there's that other step of formatting where you have to make it printable. And that takes a lot of time. And it's monotonous and I don't like doing it. So it's that thing I keep putting off to the side. And it's like, I'll get to you when I get to you. And for me right now, it's not important to do the self-publishing projects because 
I've done a bunch of that already. Uh, I've got a long, long record of self-publishing. I've been doing that since 1996, so I, I don't have anything left to prove in self-publishing. Like I, I've and I've got stories that I want to tell that I've already told. So now I just have to put them together as a book and put them out. But in the meantime, I'm I'm doing a bunch of work for other publishers, so it's harder to feel that that intense need to put out another thing. Uh, if I already have something coming out, because I want to focus on getting that, that thing as good as it is, or good as it can be, before that comes out. And so I feel like like my little side projects, um, worrying about getting those ready or getting those out the door, it, it weakens the ability to produce you know, the work to a higher level on the other stuff. So as much as I'd like to put out more, I'm not worried about it too much. Like it'll get out when it gets out. I think because I'm off all of July, I've been just plugging away at getting my hard drive cleaned up and <laughs> getting rid of that stuff. So you're going to see some of those things coming out later on this year. Um, but I'm not really in a rush to do it, you know, if that makes any sense. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess it's because I, I'm kind of doing what I want to do, and I'm not too... When I started all of the personal projects, it was those were going to be hopefully the thing that you build on to get to the, the driving next force thing, behind right? like, it all yeah now. and and I was in, and I enjoy telling Jason New York City stories and I enjoy telling Idiot caveman stories but they're not paying the bills right so they're just something I do because I enjoy doing it and I can still do it and enjoy doing it and not feel like I need to put it out yet uh, I can put it out next year and it'll still be done it's still the same project that I did this year it's just um, maybe I'll take time to redo the lettering or you know I'll take some time to tweak things here and there um, but I'm not too too worried about it like it'll come out whenever it's time for it to come out so hopefully you know this this summer here I can get them squared away enough that I can start doing that I've already got a printer for them I just have to have to get the books ready for the printer. <laughs> Format so. it and send it off. Yeah, yeah. If I had a publisher doing it, then I wouldn't have to do this. I'd just send them the raw files and they can worry about it. That's, <laughs> that's kind of the nice it. thing about doing publishing for somebody else is I don't have to worry about all of that other stuff. Like, when I do the cartoon stuff, I just send them in. Like, I finish the art. I have a template that I work off of that is set up for print. So it's a really high DPI um, file that I'm sending them. And they worry about doing all of the separations, getting like the exact size for print and all of that stuff. I just send them the raw file and I don't have to worry about any of the other stuff. Whereas when you're self-publishing, you've got to do it all. You've got to do all of the planning for the prints. You've got to do all the book design. You've got to do all the graphic design. You've got to do all the marketing. You've got to do all of the distribution stuff. Um, whereas with cartoons, I don't worry about any of that. I just do the artwork. I send it in. I get a check. That's it. <laughs> so it must be nice to get the middle, like the tedious stuff out of the way. Yeah. Right? Like, well, yeah, I don't want to be a publisher. I want to be the artist, right? Mm -hmm. Like I don't want to publish the book. I just want to do the book. So, um, I think I got a little spoiled working for other people, you know, in that way. Like when we did the Mark Mac, you know, the McIntyre for sell books, it was like, it was so freeing to not have to worry about making this thing into a book just to send them, all the raw data and say here you go here's the 150 files that you need to make the book and then they have a graphic designer who puts it all together and they have a marketing person and they have a you know distributor and they've got a publicist and you know they would email me and say oh so and so radio station wants to do an interview or they want you on television in Yorkton or they want you to do a book signing here 
I didn't have to do any of that legwork. It just all got done by it's another out person. For so it's it's a much better experience when you when you don't have to do all of the like if you have people helping you do all that stuff uh, to to not have to do it all on your own. Whereas in self publishing, you have to do all of those jobs. So you spend a bunch of time creating the work, but then you have to spend probably twice as much time getting people's hands on the work. Like even when I did the first Jason New York City comic books, the first ones that I printed, um, issue zero, I did through the Small Press Idol competition. I had a publisher do the book work part of it. They had a small distribution company, but no marketing. So um, some of the books got ordered in the States just by people that were watching the contest. So, so we had some stores that picked up, were stores that were indie friendly so I had a bit of a leg up there in the states where I had the books selling already but that was people who already had their pulse on it but they already knew about it right and they followed the competition for six months because it went on online for almost a half a year so they built up that expectation that you know at the end of this thing there will be books and so when you got to the point where you had books we had pre-orders so I ordered additional copies and you know made a really good deal I got him for like a buck a book for a full color comic book which is great so but then I had almost zero distribution in Canada because it was an American company it was small press and none of the Canadian distributors were, were watching this thing right and Diamond didn't care about what was going on with this small press indie competition so we, we didn't have diamond distribution so it was me phoning up stores and seeing if they would carry the book and then I was lucky that Regina has a fantastic group of stores that support the hell out of everybody yeah. so and Saskatoon is the same A Street Comics and Books and Amazing Stories are fantastic for supporting local stuff like um, and and that's sort of where I made my discovery of just how many people in this province were doing what I was doing like I remember the Valuable Comics guys coming up to me when I was at Jerry's at Phoenix. I was just there shopping on free comic book day with my kid and my nephew. And I had no idea they existed. Like, I, I had seen a Valuable Comic book on the shelf, but didn't clue in that this was a local group of guys doing the book. And all in gals, because Keely was in the book, too. Yep. I, like that's how I met all of those people, right? Was Keely through, was in the book, and then um, yeah. actually Dyson Yob was one of my old roommates. Yeah, yeah. So, And I didn't know any of these people yeah. until until then. <laughs> so it was interesting to see. It opened up my eyes to more. Um, I think that's probably the, the one thing with, with art and with anybody who's creating something. Um, when you're doing the work on your own, it's just you in a room right like there's no like you're very tunnel vision you don't see the impact until you go out there and you sort of do a signing or you meet people and you do things and and then you sort of see that oh okay I've touched all these different people and and made them all laugh which is great that's the whole idea Um, like when I do book signings for or if I even just take the books to a show like when I bring the you might be from Saskatchewan if books to any show that I do Calgary, Winnipeg, Regina, Saskatoon, doesn't matter. Um, I have people coming up to me and they still talk about how much they like the books and they still buy copies and they're, oh, I'm going to send this one to my uncle in London or whatever. And it's it's just, it's amazing to me that this little yellow book is still has, a, has legs. Like the thing came out in print six years ago. Has it been that long already? Going. Holy smoke. Yeah, I, I, it's amazing how, like how quickly time just flies. Like we've done um, six books in six years. And wow. um, 
to to have a book of cartoons out to me was just amazing because we had been rejected by everybody in the province right and so we were everybody everywhere everywhere we went they said no you can't do this there's no way a book of cartoons will fly like there's just no way not today's market no one wants was it because it, it was saskatchewan based also or i think it was it was twofold i think it was because we were talking about just about saskatchewan and it was a book of cartoons because carson had pitched um a couple of other cartoon related books he's he's just he's got a brilliant mind like the guy has great ideas and he's pitched a couple of i don't want to talk about them too much because i want to there's still things that he would probably like to repitch um but he pitched what I thought were like really funny book ideas and they've been rejected like repeatedly. And I'm just like, I just want to draw this book. <laughs> like, <laughs> You're <somebody>, on board. <laughs> somebody pick it up. Yeah. I want to draw it. Cause I mean, to me, like I've seen, I've read the whole script and I know how funny it is and I know that they know it's funny, but it's a financial risk, right? Because you don't, even you though don't the know wings what the audience would be. Right, but you're a bestseller for one specific thing, right? Whereas when you're when you're branching into something completely mm. different, the question is always not not whether or not you can sell, because I think you've you know you prove that at a certain point. The question is, is there a market for this particular product? And because I mean, if you're a great salesperson, you can sell anything. But is there a market for it? That where if I put this on a store shelf, is somebody going to pick it up and grab it? If you're not there, and some of those books that he's pitched, I've thought for sure there's a market for it. It's just you have to convince a publisher to put the money down, right? And that's that's the hard part. If you're gambling with somebody else's bankroll, that's that's the other thing, right? Like we're we're going, oh, it's a great idea. Of course it's going to be successful, and they're going, well, this is going to cost at least X dollars, and we'd have to make X number of sales to make the money back, and then at this point we become profitable. And then they do the math and they figure out, well, what's the market for cartoons these days? Who knows? Because there isn't really a lot of cartoon books on the market right now, aside from reprints of like the Sunday Funnies or, you know, established cartoon strips that are already out there like Garfield and, and things like that. So, and even those books don't sell millions of copies anymore a year. You know, they sell a certain amount. So, <coughs> so it's a bit of a tough road, but you have to... You know, we just keep plugging away and, and we just, you know, we land a thing here and there and we just keep going. Carson's pitched a couple of projects that like we're working on one right now that it's just a really interesting book idea. And I'm just like, how did nobody else come up with this idea? You know, <laughs> like it's just the way his brain works. It's just so, so amazing to me. So um, I can't talk a lot about it right now because it's still it's still being written. And uh, I don't think we have permission from the publisher to really talk about it yet, but we'll come back on and chat about it when it's when it's yeah. Out. It's just yeah. when you describe the book, like to me, it made sense, right? Because the analogy I have for it is when you go right. to other cities in this country to a CFL game, mm-hmm. there's always that distinct green section, right? Cause yeah. We're always the people that kind of like grow up here and move off, but it's in our hearts, right? Right. And you think that. It's not the most winning franchise in the world. No. But I think it's still always number one for merchandise and just... Yeah. And not just like jerseys, everything, right? Like it's yeah. the Rough Rider thing, right? And just that's how I felt about... Or at least that's the way I kind of saw how your franchise worked, right? With the... You know, you're from Saskatchewan stuff because like... Isn't it weird to say franchise? Like <laughs> it still feels weird to me. 
uh, I'm amazed that I look and there's more than like family members listening to the podcast. So it's yeah. just, but yeah, like it, I don't, because yeah, it was like book one, book two, coloring book. And then like yeah. you breathed out, but like, and then there is, it's like you said, people are like, Hey, I want to pick this up and send it to Bob. He moved to Nova Scotia right. and there's my aunt Helen. She's over in BC. And so like, I'm not sure if the main traffic is in this province and then it's being mailed out or if it's people that have all moved around the world and then they're seeing it and then they're picking it up for themselves or... It's hard to say. When the book first came out, I put together a little scrapbook and I went online and I, and I just, I basically Googled the book um, by the ISN number and um, that book was popping up on websites in China, Russia, um, Africa, um, like it was all over the place it was really weird like I, I printed off the page listings for um, all the different websites that it popped up on just because I thought this is just so weird that it's like it's like everywhere like the book just went nuts like um, we hit the bestsellers list in Canada it wasn't just Saskatchewan it was like Canada wide mm-hmm. and we didn't know we were on the list like the publisher didn't I remember tell you us. saying your book showed up. Yeah, what was it? Fancy tape or something was different about it. Well, it, it was. It, we had the original cover was just a yellow cover, okay. and then they brought them to the table, and it had this blue bestsellers label going across the top. And I was that like, was it, right? And I kind of looked at Carson, and he looked at me, and we're like, "What's going on?" <laughs> <laughs> so it was like, okay, so we're on the bestsellers list. That's weird, and um. We were also tracking, we were buying the Star Phoenix because they had the listings for McNally Robson Canada on there. And it was it was weird to see, um, you might be from Saskatchewan if sitting at the number one spot like week after week for months. It was just like, what's going on with this book? It's crazy. So, so the publisher, we did the second book really quickly after the first one because they were just floored by the response. And then... So was it them like all of a sudden noticing that and being like, hey, hey, hey let's rally the troops and get well, everyone out? Or they were they were happy right off the get go because I think the immediate response to the book when they see the way that they they, they put the book out is is um, they advertise it first in a in an industry magazine for booksellers like bookstores. So they they did a little excerpt and they put a couple cartoons in the magazine and they a little write up on what the book was about and who we were and. And the response from that, from the bookstores, was really good. And so they went, oh, well, if the bookstores are interested in this. Um, and it wasn't just, they were expecting it to be like a small niche book in Saskatchewan. Maybe we'll Coffee sell. Coffee table book, yeah. You know, five, ten thousand copies maybe, you know, somewhere in there. And it took off across the board. So they were like, oh, okay. And it was selling really well in Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and Alberta, like really well, um, uh, well enough to get us into Costco. And it's hard to get into Costco. Oh, wow. Like Costco will bring in a product, but you have to be moving because they don't want products sitting on their shelf. So they want it to hit the shelf and, and sell out. Like that's that's how Costco does things. Like if you ever notice, you, you see something in Costco, you go back and it's gone. So they want to order exactly want, yeah. what people are going to buy, no more, no, no less, yeah. and see they, it go, They right? order a set amount, and then they're expecting that demand will just die. So they were bringing in, I think, 300 copies a week wow. in, in just the Regina store. And the Regina store couldn't keep them in stock. It, they would get their stock on a Wednesday. They would be gone by Saturday. So they were moving 
like just a ton on the book. And so they, they said, well, let's do a book signing. And then they ordered a pile. Like they ordered so many of the book. It was crazy. Carson and I went to look for copies because we were telling people they were available at Costco because the publisher said they were available at Costco. And then people were emailing back. I don't see Sold them. Out. They're gone, whatever. And so we were like, we went in and I said, are they actually available? Because I've been telling people to come here to buy them. Um, but they're telling me they can't find the book. And they're like, man, that book, I opened the boxes and I put it on the table and people are snapping it up. He's like, it's just because we can't keep it in stock. I've told my manager to double the order and then they double the order and it goes. And then we double the order again and it goes. And it's like, <laughs> like, oh, okay. So they are available. You just have to be quick. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, I, we kind of put the word out on Facebook that, that, you know, they are in stock and you just need to be show up on Wednesday when they open show the up box and get or it, whatever. Right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and if you can't find it there, we're at Kohl's, we're at Indigo, we're at, you know, we were everywhere. And and then when they wanted to do the book signing, they told us probably six weeks in advance so we could tell people, you know, we're going to be at the Regina Costco this date, this time. And it happened to be, I think, six weeks before Christmas or something like that. It was not very far before Christmas. And they put us in a table, kind of in the middle where they have all the books. And I, I mean, I've never done a book signing in a Costco ever before so I had no idea what to expect and I brought you know some Sharpie markers and stuff and Carson and I showed up and we're both like okay where do we go what do we do and we get to this table and it's got our picture on it and there's like piles of books and as soon as we stood behind the table people started just flocking to the table it was the weirdest thing it was like we were giving out free chocolate and people were just like (laughs) that's the free chocolate table and they were all racing over to get the free chocolate and we would have people come up to the table and they would kind of look at you skeptically like what is this thing you are selling like usually you know older guys you know they come and they, they look at you and they give you that kind of that what's that, the hubbub <laughs> yeah what's going on here why why is everybody coming to you and, and why is everybody so excited and then they would pick it up and they'd flip through the book and they would find some cartoon in there that made them laugh and they would just buy it and it was just it was amazing to me to watch people's facial expressions completely change and their whole body language change like they would find that thing it would make them laugh you see it just sort of relax them. The tension melts away. Yeah, it was really, it was really, that to me was like, I didn't care if the book was a bestseller. It was just, that was amazing. I wanted to do more of that. So getting to do other books afterwards and knowing that people were going to have that similar reaction was like, that was awesome to me. It was just to, to see that reaction. And now what's really fun for me is when I go to like Calgary, for example, um, when I'm sitting at a table in Calgary and I just, I just basically put a stack of the books on the table and I just put a book in front. That's all I do. And people walk by and they go, oh, and they come walking over. <laughs> and sometimes they have rider jerseys on, but sometimes they don't. And I have no idea they're from there. And they just pick it up and they're like, I love this book. Or I have the first one or I have the second one. And I didn't know you had a third one, so I'll grab that one. And, you know, oh, my my dad just loved this book. He's, he keeps it in the bathroom. I'm like, great. You know, as long as we're, <laughs> we're easy reading, right? Like, <laughs> read us where you can. And, uh, you know, it's, um, to me, it's just, it's great that people can connect to, um, I think the, what they connect to is that there's a cartoon in there that reminds them of somebody they know or something that's happened to them. And that, that commonality of experience, just that they're able to connect to that. And they put like a happy feeling towards something you did. And then they're happy to see you because you did the thing that they were really happy about. It's, yeah, it's, it's just awesome. The fond memory, yeah. or the saying, or just something, yeah, it's just right? Something. Yeah. They, 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 they like it. They twigged on it. Like, I haven't had a bad experience the whole time I've been doing this. Like the, the only bad experience I've ever had has been, 
just a vehicle breakdown on the way to a show. <laughs> you know, so that's not really comic driven. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, like everything's been really good. Um, I find uh, uh, it's been a good experience, even for my kids. Like my daughter right now, she's nine, and she's getting into drawing like a lot. And she's not necessarily doing comic book stuff, but she's drawing like crazy. Like she's doing a lot of fashion design type stuff. And I could oh, see cool. her going into something like that because she's got that. Like I recognize the itch, you know, it's hard to explain that to my Like my wife brought me one of her school books and she opened it up and, and my daughter's been drawing in all the margins. Like all of the margins of all her books are full of drawings. And I just chuckled because I'm like, you recognize it. I could, if I still had my school books, I could show you that that is exactly what mine looked like. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, yeah, it's a lost cause, dear. You're never going to break her from this. She's either going to do it or not. She'll either stop on her own or she's just going to draw. Good luck with that. You know, you couldn't get me to stop. So what are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> You've got another one in the house. <laughs> and my son has no desire to draw. He's not a, an artist at all in that way. Um, which is totally fine, you know. Some people get it, are into it, some aren't, and and there's nothing wrong with that. But he got to see the he got to see the whole thing kind of develop, right? Like he got to see me go from being just a web comic guy to having something in print, and then being in the newspaper. Like I think that was a weird thing for him was seeing his dad on the front page of the Leader Post. You know, all his friends. Well, how were does he react? Like, because I remember seeing him when I went to the yeah. Calgary show, and he was with you at the booth all day. Like, is it kind of weird? Oh, he loved it. Yeah, he loves it. He gets to meet so many interesting people, like by proxy. That, like, he just loves it. And we, I have this weird knack of run of, like, celebrity run-ins, uh, like either totally unintentionally or I just, I don't have a, a filter that says don't talk to this person, and so sometimes after the shows. We'll run into somebody like in the lobby at the hotel or at a bar nearby the place and we'll end up having supper with you know a Star Trek cast member or uh, one night we had supper with uh, the artists from the Dark Horse Star Wars comics oh nice and a member of Kirby Crackle just they were we just all happened to be at the same place they recognized us from the show we recognized them from the show we all just hung out right it's like that whole oh what a, what a grinder of a day blah 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 you know Everybody just got that common experience, and and there's, I haven't encountered really any ego, in any of the things. Like, you'll encounter people that you think should have some ego to them, but everybody's been really cool. Like, I haven't had any that's, yeah any issues, you know. And um, that's like, I think I've heard of a few through the comic convention that yeah. it's either a cash grab to them, they just show up and go through the motions. Um, yeah, I think it was the one I went to with you guys in Calgary. When I went um, with Corey and Jess, yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, Famke Jansen was there, yeah, and she was she felt like one of those ones because it was like don't touch me, don't whatever, yeah, Here, get your photo, get out, kind of stuff, right. right? But that feels like like that's the only one I can think of off the top of my head. Like it seemed like yeah. everyone else was like, hey, come in. Like whenever I see people yeah. posting like their photo ops with the people, it looks like it's so much fun. Like it's just right. And I've had both experiences. Like I, my experience with Stan Lee was very get in, get out. But Stan Lee had like people lined up for three hours to see him. I felt so bad for and Corey. He's in his mid eighties. Yeah. So we sh- yeah, we yeah. showed up that day, and it was like you know those things that yeah. keep people in lines. Yeah. It was like up and down and up and down and up yeah and he was the only one with the like the meet and greet photo op thing yeah and it was just like 
sorry <laughs> like it's gonna be awesome but yeah that one yeah but that yeah. was just because they probably packed him to the so rafters for people, people right and he's he's older he's probably exhausted right like so when my son and I did our photo op with him I just said to him like he's probably not gonna talk to us because like I said dude he's like he's almost 90 like he's he's probably very tired I mean if you were his age and you had to meet thousands of people would you be talking to everybody he's like probably not and I'm like exactly so don't be disappointed we got in there, we took our picture, we, we got out, you know, and he actually said Excelsior, and I was like, oh, awesome, like, <laughs> worth it, you know? Yeah. Didn't expect any more than that, that was fine. When I did the photo op with the Walking Dead cast with Norman Reedus and, um, you know, the other two actors, um, Norman Reedus was just having a great fucking time. Like, nice. He was just pranking people. <clears throat> He was screwing with other people's photo ops. He was running in and photobombing people. Like, he was just having a good time. I got in there, and he's like, hey, brother, what's up? He gave me a giant hug, and then, you know, I shook hands with everybody else, and we did the, what are we doing for the picture? And I, oh, we're going to, you know, we're just posing. And he goes, we're not killing zombies? He said, nah, you guys kill zombies all day. So we just, we stood there, and we posed. And they loved it. Everybody thanked me. I got another hug from everybody else. Like, it was a great experience. Peter Dinklage, I got a high five from nice you know just like it's just you're, you're gonna have like you have to remember these are just normal people right so if they're having a crap day you're not gonna have a great experience or if they have they know they're going through a meat grinder all day long. they yeah. have to see a person every 30 seconds it's just like, a bottleneck line in yeah people who want to spend what did what do you even get two minutes five you minutes like, with them or? like a minute yeah maybe two right like i got more with the walking dead cast because they were Engaged, right? Like they were interested in chatting and hugging and whatever, right? Whereas uh, I know that, like, for example, there's a common complaint that I've heard um, people say, like, with, for example, William Shatner, you know, getting his autograph, it's like he just signs it, he doesn't make eye contact, blah, blah, blah. It's like, but he, like, when I saw, when I was in the C4 con in Winnipeg, one of my first conventions, his lineup to see him went two stories and out the front door of the convention center so he doesn't have time to get to know every person in that lineup and it would be impossible to there has I mean, to be a point where just like yeah hey how's it going Psh, go yeah is all you can really afford right. them, and right? he can't do pictures at the table because if he stops and does a picture for one guy at the table he's gonna do a picture for everybody coming up right you're setting precedent and yeah. nobody's getting in to see him they're gonna have to cut that line off in half Half those guys are going to be disappointed. He loses half that money. Like, it's a business, right? And he's getting paid so much to be here and sign autographs. The show is spending money to fly him in, feed him, fly him home. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I just I see it from a different perspective. I wouldn't expect him to take the time to go, oh, hey, Jason, how are you? And, oh, your mom loves my show. That's great. And I'll say hi to her. What's her name? And, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, I wouldn't expect any of that interaction because I know there's 30,000 people behind me waiting to see the guy, right? Like, whereas when I do those smaller shows, that's what I like about the smaller shows really is you get the more one-on-one interactions with people because they're not as slammed, right? Like, yeah. Like when I did the Regina show last year, when they had, um, the guy who played, um, on the walking dead, uh, Abraham, he was there and he did a selfie with me and we chatted for a bit. Like we just chatted at the table and then I you know got the autograph and the photo and stuff and I, that wouldn't have happened in Toronto or probably yeah. Calgary because he would have been like just busy 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 but a smaller show on a slower day like you get him on a Sunday afternoon when everybody's out brunch and whatever and 
good time to hit the table for you know the autographs and stuff. Sean Aston, I got his autograph when he was here, and then he he stopped by my booth. Oh, nice. He had time to wander, and then we did a selfie behind the the curtain because he didn't want to start anything with yeah you know, the crowd, and we just hung out and chatted, like. I had coffee with the the Weasley twins from Harry Potter, <laughs> you know? and I'm nobody. <laughs> but we were in the green room at the same time, hanging out. There was nothing going on, like you know. What those a great are, thing to say, though. Like, remember that time I had coffee with the Weasleys? <laughs> oh my god! I I remember I phoned my wife the one morning we were in C4Con. It was my like it was my first convention ever. I was there with Dyson, and and the Valuable Comics guys. And we were just blown away by the whole experience. So we had, we had no idea what we were getting into. We're there with the valuable comic stuff. I just had Jason of New York City Number Zero come out in a T-shirt, and we're staying in the same hotel as Michael Golden, Steve Scott, and a bunch of other like veteran comic artists. And we kept running into them everywhere. And the one morning they invited us to come down for breakfast with them, and we're all like, "Oh my god." This is awesome. We're like, we're having breakfast with Michael Golden. So I texted my wife. I'm like, she's like, how's the day going? I'm like, I'm having breakfast with Michael Golden. It's fucking awesome. <laughs> so I don't care if I sell a single comic book. I'm having breakfast with Michael Golden. <laughs> so, so I think it's just the uh, the experiences are so rewarding at these things. That's, I think it's one of the reasons why I love doing the shows is just meeting the people, seeing the smiles. Like for me, I love blowing a kid's mind. Like when a kid comes to my table and I've got a 3D comic book there and they put on the glasses and I watch their mind get blown, it's just amazing. Like it doesn't matter to me if that kid buys the book, I've done my job. I've You've blown your them, mind. Yeah. You are now wowed by something on paper. I got you out of the digital realm for 30 seconds. <laughs> I blew your brain. Now you can go and have the rest of your day. <laughs> so it's a lot of fun that way. Yeah, I guess, yeah, I agree with the bigger thing. Like, I had a, my favorite interaction so far was at the Saskatoon one, which is a lot smaller, whatever, but they had yeah. Gail Simone, right? Oh, yeah, and, Gail um, is wonderful, though. She's a wonderful person. And that was the thing, and it was like, I don't know if it's just the majority of the people are there for, like, the more, like, the TV, the movie-centric stuff. Yeah. Because the stuff that I'm there for, like, that, that, like... That the you comic see on my book walls, stuff. Yeah, right? the same like, reason I'd be there. Like Kelly Jones. I mean, that's an amazing piece. Yeah, and it's like I got to sit and chat with John Beatty, right? And it's like, yeah, because those don't have the rush lineups. And like, right. I was mind boggled because I'm like, um, here's Gail Simone, and it's like it's five, six people or whatever. And yeah. I had my little nerd moment because when I showed up, it was like the very, very first. Um, Secret Six comic she's like wow I don't see this one very often so I'm like yes <laughs> I know I did the same thing with George Perez I'll tell you my story after you're done yours but oh my god but yeah and it was super cool because like everyone knows her now from her more modern stuff like whether yeah. it's Red Sonia or like Birds of Prey like she's doing super well for herself but yeah like I got on board with her when it was I don't know two crises ago crises ago <laughs> yeah and yeah there was those series that spun out of it and so like I got on board with her because it was called Villains United and it turned into Secret Six and I always loved her writing of and I really appreciate people who can write um, the B characters and make right. them engaging right and so yeah. like she took like Catman right and like I've always liked him I always had a sauce spot but, for him how many people know about him right until like maybe more now because of that but like Catman Ragdoll um, One Parademon was in the original group um, yeah. I'm forgetting a whole bunch now um, but yeah like she took like 
almost C-grade characters, I would say, right? Like, not Batman's rogues gallery by any means. And she took the time to character develop them and write right. and invest in backstories. And I, like, I just, I've canceled my file, right? Like, I feel like there's nothing of this going on in anything that I'm trying to pick up, at least anyways, right? right? And so she got me so invested in that. But then when you like a writer, you follow them, right? And so, like, yeah. I showed up and I had to, like, narrow down between, like, 12 comics I'm like oh what do I want to get her to sign and then so yeah I showed up with like the first ever secret six and it was cool because she's like wow and then she actually takes the time to sit and chat with you right and her husband's there and um I was wearing a multiple man shirt also a very nice guy yeah yeah and um he sees I'm wearing a multiple man shirt so we have a conversation about that right and it's just and the same thing like with John Beatty and just because Kelly Jones is probably my favorite Batman artist period Kelly right? is my favorite I, I chat with him on Facebook from time to time because I just I love what he's doing and I love that he's back they've got him drawing Batman again I'm just like I'm so see that stoked. would be a reason for me to go oh I just I, I've always loved his style I love the larger like the big bad ears I love that he's got this like really gothic cartoony style because I'm a cartoonist I'm attracted to the cartooniness right like I love the the absurdity of it I love his croc his killer croc is, is his croc's amazing and i don't know if they did it on purpose because they had kelly jones on the title but they brought swamp thing in yeah i love his swamp thing just so you could yeah. see the big hulking and yeah like he was almost made to draw a swamp thing right like yeah certain characters like his bane was hit and miss for me yeah I, I love his scarecrow his killer yeah. croc and his um his joker i've always liked he gets that that long yeah. drawn out face i love that um, and I also love how he did. Um, oh shoot! I loved his penguin. His penguin was good too. Yeah, yeah. I can't say there was one character that I disliked, but like, and he was yeah. handed everything from like, and it was all great because it was everything from like there was episodes with just Tweedledee and Tweedledum, and there oh, was yeah the the Mad Hatter he Mad, oh, Hatter, Mad Hatter stuff was great. But I remember there's yeah. the one Scarecrow cover that is just amazing with all the TV sets, and it's just yeah. so beautiful. Right? I still own that comic. I won't get rid of it. It's I like, have them all. Yeah, like yeah, to me that late eighties to mid to late 90s that nightfall run yeah the, i was really into it, it but it pretty much yeah like it started with like the nightfall into all the different events and then there was 700 which was them bringing back Ra's al ghul yeah. and i liked at that time you only saw him once every seven to ten years but you look at the artists that they had on those runs right like they're all amazing graham nolan you had you had michael you know you had uh, uh kelly jones um you had brian Stillfreeze. You had um, even McDaniel uh, on Nightwing. I enjoyed. McDan- I loved McDaniel stuff. On that's that the one that's yeah. hanging in the kitchen here. Is yeah. that Nightwing run? Like and his that's... Daredevil stuff drew me in, and then I followed him to Nightwing because mm-hmm. it was just like I loved his again a kind of a cartoony style. It's like um, uh, there's a couple guys out now that draw in that similar tone. You know that kind of yeah exaggerated cartooniness, but really strong design sense. Um, and and yeah. It, he was really high up on my list for sure for and I just time. yeah I don't know what it was even when they did New 52 and now it was the rebirth I just yeah. nothing has grabbed me visually writing right. wise anything and it's just and I tried I went 10 20 whatever issues in right yeah. and it just it didn't grab me I did the same thing I, I find I think we we as human beings as people we're constantly evolving and changing right I started off reading Amazing Spider-Man, and I read Spidey right up until 
right up until after Mark Bagley's run, when they started getting kind of just weird and just it just felt very just. What year would that be? Probably ninety six, ninety seven. Okay, yeah. Like, is that when they started going like maximum clonage and like? Yeah, and it just felt like everything had been done, and they were just sort of out of ideas, and and it was just sort of like they've just run out of gas, you know, and they didn't know what to do with the character anymore. The writers that they were bringing in, it became like almost like story arc writing, where it yeah. was like, let's try to excite you for the next summer crossover, and yeah. we'll do twelve issues leading up to this giant mega crossover event. When we'll, was Ben Riley? Um, he was about that time. It was about the end it of just, Bagley's yeah, run. Yeah, and like yeah, but I also think that's the and reason. And the Gwen clone, I, yeah. I, that's when I stopped completely. Was but I think was that, that also stuff. was the beginning of the road to their bankruptcy though right like yeah. I think they felt obligated to pump out four to five Spider-Man comics a month yeah well they were trying to compete directly with DC because DC had a Batman comic every week yeah and they had a Superman comic every week was there a Superman every week yeah because I remember there was Batman Detective Tales of the Dark Knight but then there was the spinoffs there was yeah. Nightwing and Robin and Catwoman and Azrael Catwoman got a spinoff Azrael and, and everybody then and I was there was even a, a GCPD spinoff yep. for a little while. Yeah, I have all those, but the writing was still yep. decent to me, right? But like, but they were on different tiers. Like Batman's dealing with like almost metahuman level stuff, yeah. but he would bring himself down to the street level things too, right? But then they had, oh, yeah. but yeah. then Huntress even had a run too, right? Yeah. And then Birds of Prey, and like each of them had their own little niches and worlds that were flushed out and developed, right? And like, right, and then they would have different art styles on each book. Which was I thought was a big draw. Like I liked specific artists. I mean, there were guys that drew me in. It was the same with Superman. Like I liked John Bogdanov's stuff, and I liked um, uh, Jurgens, Dan Jurgens' stuff. Um, yeah, he still gets a bad rap, I think. <laughs> I liked his stuff though. I and, think it was his I, writing that took the. Yeah, but I mean, I enjoy his, his art. Like I like like his Superman and, and Grummet's Superman. That's my Superman. Right, like those two guys together, like because one week it was Jurgens, the next week it was Grummet, mm-hmm. and that was my Superman. That was until they did the death of that was that was who I was following because I think I think I liked them because I also liked John Byrne stuff and and all of that sort of you could put a John Byrne, Bogandov, Jurgens, Grummet book all side by side and it wouldn't be the same, but it would be similar enough that stylistically you would go, oh yeah yeah, this all belongs kind of together. Um, whereas Batman was all over the place because you would have Kelly Jones yeah. killing it on his issue. Like that issue where they have Batman breaking the water and there's a rat on his head in the nightfall. That's my favorite cover of all time. Like, because it's just so amazingly done. Like he's drowning and there's a rat on his head. Like, ew. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it just, it worked. Um, and, and then you've got these super classy, super classic Brian Stillfree's paintings on the covers for the other issues. Um, I don't know. The whole thing was just, it was really a really good time to be a, a, a fan, you know? And I find nowadays I don't read anything superhero, which is really sad because I, I love superheroes. I'm in the same boat though, too. But I got sucked into the Magnoliaverse, man. I read a lot of like the BPRD stuff. But I, I read it because I like the storytelling, but I also love the art. Like they've got some amazing artists working for them. And that's them. where Joel said he's reading right now too. Yeah. Is the BPRD stuff. Yeah, the the Hellboy, and I love that they're doing this Hellboy stuff where they travel back to different eras, and they change the art style based on the era. Oh, see, that's brilliant. So like. I, I love it, and, and I love. 
they get like uh, you know Fabio, Fabio Moon and, and Gabriel Ba and they get like all these artists that I normally wouldn't read and they they seem to match them perfectly to the story like they give those guys a vampire tale and it's like it's fucking it's brilliant <laughs> you know I read it and I go god I want more I want to see more of these two guys on this on this genre um, but I love that they 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 wrap in old wives tales folklore a little bit of comedy and a little bit of serious overtone so it's not too depressing but there's something serious going on and it's interesting and they tie in all this weird stuff together in one long thread and it just makes the whole world very interesting yeah so it draws you in um and some of the characters are just neat you know like he's got a character um baltimore who's it's it takes place in world war one nobody's telling stories that take place in world war one in that era right like and so that right there put him put it apart from everything else i was reading so i was immediately interested because i'm a history guy i love learning about you know, old historical facts and i love following the the intricacies of how this world has become be, because of this world that that was there right so um and i love the old wise tale stuff and i love old folklore and so it just sucks me in 10 years ago wasn't what I was reading <laughs> you know? and it wouldn't be hard to like yeah. just do some research and find what was the boogeyman of this era or what were the old wives tales yeah. or the folklore right right like, well like, and, and Mike Magnola who claims not to be a writer is a damn good writer like he he does that really well he'll grab like a story like the wolves of St. August which is actually based on an old story that took place during the Spanish Inquisition and he'll wrap it into a Hellboy story um, brilliantly. Or he'll take something that was in the Bible, like a, you know, a poem about a saint, uh, and he'll turn that into a story. Or a, a little simple story that people would tell in some Irish pub about a, oh, you better watch out when you walk past this castle, because if you walk past it at 3 a.m., you know, this goblin with iron boots will jump out and he'll stomp on you and you'll die and you know, we'll find your corpse. And he'll turn it into a story where Hellboy has to go to this church and stop this like goblin from stomping on passerbyers at 3 a.m. You know, and, and I think he does it brilliantly. I mean, you know, I think that's, that's something that the superhero comics right now are lacking is is the, the good character stories, right? Like, you have people that have done interesting things with some of the characters, but I feel like there's a big, there's, there's a big disconnect, right? Like, Disney owns Marvel, and they bought Marvel not for the comics they bought Marvel for the characters and that's something Disney does very well right they, they know how to make money off of a character uh, look at the Wreck-It Ralph movie that's coming out this summer they're doing basically a crossover with every property they own I haven't seen any I just ads saw, for it yet. I just saw the new trailer for it yesterday and in that trailer you have all the Disney princesses you have Star Wars characters you have the Marvel characters and you have the Wreck-It Ralph characters. So when would that have been possible before today? Yeah. Have they taken possession of the Sony characters? I don't know. I, I don't know if that's a done deal yet or not. I think there's still I some... I keep hearing about it, but like I know they allowed... And I haven't even watched the new Spider-Man. Yeah. Like I just know him from Civil War, right? Like I'm guilty of being burned out on kind of the TV stuff too. The, like the new Spider-Man movie, Homecoming, was awesome. Is Probably, that the one with uh, Michael Keaton? 
Yeah, where he plays the vulture. Yeah, yeah. see, I haven't watched that one yet. You really should. It's really good. Yeah. It's good from the, the standpoint of it's a good character-driven story. Um, see, and that's what I... Yeah, like, I'm like eight episodes into the first Luke Cage and I just finished Iron Fist and I'm yeah. I'm done and like Jessica Jones is one of my absolute favorite characters especially of the newer yeah. modern stuff and like because I remember reading all the original Bendis alias comics right. right like Dana pointed them out for me he pointed me in the direction of Bendis's and believes Daredevil and he yeah. pointed me to alias right when I started yeah. reading again in about 2003 or 4 and um, yeah and like new character took the time to like deep roots like tells her story like right and so you like i don't know i just feel i'm not invested in any characters anymore like none right well the problem see the problem with the netflix stuff is they're they're dragging out a story that they should be able to tell in about six episodes into 12 right and they're, they're slow walking us through the whole thing but I feel like they're slow walking you and then have so many things that they have to wrap up in that last episode that it's yeah. so it's like walk, walk, walk. Oh, shit. It's over. So it's just like rapid fire. Yeah. You. And, and it's then like we end on a cliffhanger for season two. Yeah. I enjoyed the Daredevil one that came out because the story was better. And, and it was better because it was based off of a story that took place over 12 parts anyway. Like the original Frank Miller, John Romita, Daredevil run was 12 issues. And if you just follow the 12 issues, you kind of get the whole gist of it, right? And it was kind of paced out that way. It was, yeah. it was meant to be a slower telling of who Daredevil was, introducing all the characters. But it wasn't boring. Mm-hmm. And anytime it got really kind of boring, they would have a fight in a hallway that just blew your fucking mind. And you would go on to the next... Thing, the hallway right? fight that he has with those Russian guys is still probably one of oh, my absolute favorite so fight scenes in any, like, yeah. for a TV show especially, right? Like, yeah. just where he's like, uh, uh, because they, they made him look human too, right? Because he'd right. have to, like, stop, put his hands on his knees and be like, He's out okay. of breath. He's gassed. And he's yeah. like, and now I'm ready to go into the next room. <laughs> and yeah. It's like, and what's really funny is that was done in one take. Was <laughs> it? I didn't know that. Take. And the fight in the stairwell was one take. Man. Could you imagine <laughs> if just one guy screwed up their part and they have to do the whole thing again. Start from the beginning. Yeah, and just the camera work was brilliant. How it would like, oh, they'd, they'd fly through a wall and down. it would just slide perfectly, yeah, right? Like, yeah, it was amazing. And the, the same thing with the Punisher when they did that fight in the hallway in, in the prison cell block. Yeah, that was that was. I also, feel like they almost feel obligated to have that one like that one scene. really cool like fight yeah. scene where it's like one against the world type feeling. Yeah, yeah, but. Um, but, I, also, I mean, those yeah. are three that really stand out, right? The Defenders I had high hopes for. Because you're getting that, that amazing cast of characters together. And then it was a similar thing. It was a very slow story. And I found the villain they put together wasn't super compelling, right? And that's what you need. You need both sides to be really compelling. The thing I enjoyed about Luke Cage was the other characters, like Cottonmouth and and like the whole backstory with that bar and that family, the crime, the barber shop, and the whole the barber shop pop. Like the characters were really good. They just didn't have enough meat and potatoes to a story, right? See, I, I didn't. Yeah, I quit. I can't remember if it was six, seven, whatever. In I didn't feel like there was this really driving motivation to go after. Yeah, that's was what I mean. The bad there's guy, there's right? no like, engine to it, right? Like they're setting a really good stage. But they're taking forever to get to that stage. 
and then there's nothing to compel you to continue to get to the yeah. end of that stage. Because, and I totally didn't think he'd be great, but the Kingpin, um, Vincent D'Onofrio. Oh, I thought he was awesome. Yeah. But I remember everyone was like, what? When they hired him. I was also yeah. that way when they took the guy from The Walking Dead to be Punisher, though, too. And I I, like I, I wasn't. I was excited. Cause I, and see, I feel like yeah. I ate my words. Like, But to me, Frank Castle's big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, he, he played Lundgren the old soldier version. role perfectly, yeah. right? But yeah, like Kingpin, amazing. You're building, yeah. to, you know what you're building towards. And what I love was with Jessica Jones, they grabbed the, of her four original books, they grabbed the perfect one with yeah. Purple Man. Yeah. They grabbed... But an he, amazing. They, they got a good character. I mean, they took a villain who who nobody cared about, right? Yeah. Uh, to to begin at the original, the original Purple Man was just a joke character from Daredevil, right? Yeah. But then you cast a brilliant actor in the role, and suddenly he becomes the most despicable, vile fucking guy. And you take away the purple, so then all of a yeah. sudden the threat is so real because now there right. wasn't. You didn't know who he could be. Anyone in he the could crowd? Be anybody in the crowd? And it's brilliant, just how he was like, do this. I don't like you. Go jump off a bridge. Just he was so good at being bad. Yeah, just so good at being evil. And then when he started popping up in the second season in her in her brain, okay, I was like, see, and I have to watch that too. Like I I just goosebumps. I was like, oh my god, yes. But that's Tenant was perfect. Yeah, and I'm not a Doctor Who guy like Keely was. I remember her watching all the seasons when yeah I was at the house and like I was like it's not my thing I get it that they get in a phone booth and time travel I'm like I'm the Cates yeah. and Powell's guy right yeah but then there was so much buzz when he came and was hired as Purple Man right and I had such a vested interest in that story and like it sucks but I feel there's very few times where they nail it yeah especially something that's off the shelf like to have, me have you ever seen the the British TV show Broadchurch Yes, with him. Yeah, yeah I watched season oh. one of it, yeah. and it's because of the him. whole thing. He's brilliant. Yeah, he's, he's brilliant. He's a brilliant actor. But that's one of like, those. I'm not a Doctor Who guy either. Yeah. but I've seen him in like Broadchurch and in Powers and and in Jessica Jones, and I love him in everything I've seen. Powers him. is also on my list. I yeah. don't know how, and like, I never read it. Just it was one of the weird Bendis things that I never got into. Right. I liked Powers because I liked Michael Avon Omen, like because okay. again the cartoonier style. And I, I fell in love with his stuff on, not just on Powers, but on uh, Mice Templar. Because my son was really into it. He wanted to read comics. And I, I discovered um, Mouse Guard and then Mice Templar. And I was like, oh, you could read this. So I started buying Mice Templar for him. And then I noticed Avon Oming was drawing Powers. And I really liked his art in, in the Mice Templar book. So I went and I grabbed that one kind of after the fact. And I just loved his twist. Like, I loved their twist on superheroes, where they're just normal people in society, but they're kind of like the Kardashians of the world, right? Like, but he's a Kardashian that can lift the bus over his head, spin it on one finger, and put it back down. <laughs> like, it, I, I loved that. I thought that was amazing. I loved the twists. I loved that, um, the idea that there's there's a an ex-vigilante superhero running around as a cop, busting other villains and other superheroes. I thought it was just awesome. It was just an it was an interesting twist on, on that whole genre. So I like that about it, um, and I like that you get to see sort of their backstories and they kind of explain. Yeah. Um, they kind of dig into how he used to be this this other character and yeah, you know, and all that stuff. And then they, they even did kind of a Rat Pack tie-in where they had like the Sinatra, and James Dean kind of guys like of their era walking through. Just I, I like they did a really good job on the whole thing. I thought it was really good. What was the other one that really tried to tie in like what it would actually be like if people with superpowers the boys. The boys, yeah. That was another yeah. one that but I kinda got warned that it was pretty 
pretty over the top. Yeah, yeah. and so I yeah. was like, okay, maybe I won't even dive into that. I just remember hearing that the boys was another like, this is probably what would happen if people got powers yeah. in the world not this like shining beacon of superman so perfect right, right? and it's right. just when they started describing the kind of the bad things that they would do i'm like that's not my See, superhero and powers was like that because they, they didn't have like the people that had the powers weren't perfect right they were human but they just happened to have this extra abilities like they had a dude on there who had who had the power of i think it was like zeus where he was like super strong and he could like use lightning and stuff and he has a heart attack while having sex with a lady in his apartment and dies but in the process he electrifies her because as he's dying he lets off this gigantic electromagnetic charge and it kills her so at first they think they're investigating a murder scene and then they figure out what actually happened was he just died of a heart attack. But you know, what a weird twist right like you would never see that in a Spider-Man comic book right like where they're going, oh, well, this is just a thing that happened. It wasn't like it was malicious. It's just the dude had a heart attack. How much powers. of an, how much of a, I guess that's a good thing to bring up that I never really thought of. How hard is it to get the Comic Code Authority stamp? I'm honestly not even sure it's used today. No? It used to Maybe be it has gone away. Because I thought there had to be like, you couldn't talk about certain things. And well, like, it was a self-censorship thing. And I think that the, in like the industry still censors itself to a certain extent but I don't think it's required anymore hmm. I know image comics they might put on there a rating just to warn parents right like The Walking Dead clearly is not intended for children yeah and, but if you don't put a warning on it somebody's gonna buy it for a kid and then go whoa you didn't tell me it wasn't for a kid yeah but we've also watched people take their seven year olds to South Park the movie right so. I saw people bringing their young children to see um, Jurassic World um, the other day guy brought a four-year-old to see Jurassic World and I'm like do you know what we're about to see like there's gonna be a scene where a dinosaur eats somebody you're gonna have to explain this to your four-year-old son I just don't like I get that the parents are desensitized but like I don't know if they can't grasp when children are desensitized or how much things have an influence on them I, I like, think there's just a, a problem with with I'm gonna sound like a jerk for saying it I think the problem is that people just want to go and see what they want to go and see and, they, and they'll drag their kid along and they just sort of tell themselves well I'll just cover their eyes they won't they won't see this part right but you don't know that part's coming until it happens like I saw people with young children <laughs> Whoops, crap <laughs> in Deadpool 2 oh and God. Deadpool 2 in the first 30 seconds of the movie he goes hey by the way this is not a movie for children <laughs> you know and I'm looking around and there's a lot of really uncomfortable looking parents looking around going, oh shit, what have I done? I've brought little Timmy to the cinema. Right, right. I'm going to have to explain a whole bunch of things like baby dick to my my <laughs> nine-year-old boy. You know, because they're, I mean, they didn't hold any punches in that movie. It, yeah, but that was the point is like he right. set the table to prove that our movies were doable to make money but like and I loved every minute of that movie I thought it was freaking but hilarious but it's for us but I wouldn't have brought my nine year old daughter to see it but yeah Even is that on went, people not knowing who Deadpool is because anyone who's known who he is since like but 1980 but the movie's rated R yeah and there was a warning on the door even but I thought the worst the rating theater. in Canada is 14A isn't it no no it's R is I think you can R? get 18A as well I think 18 I can't I'm, yeah, embar I I'm, I'm embarrassing sure. myself because I worked at Blockbuster. I I'm should pretty know sure this. there's an 18A rating as well, but it's very rarely put on a movie. That's yeah, like right? you have, like you have to have full-on softcore porn going on in a movie. I think 
for it to get an 18 because the last movie I saw that was 18 a rated I think was the original version of the girl who kicked the hornet's nest and it wasn't the American Hollywood version it was like the original yeah. Swedish because I know version. like 18a is like the worst thing I think you can get here and is it the states that has NC-17 yeah the states has an NC-17 yeah one. like yeah. I used to know the whole breakdown yeah, yeah. there was 18 because there was 18 and NC-17 and then we had yeah. 14a and they had PG-13 yeah and then there was PG and then there was G G yeah and then yeah. I think there was like a kids rating or something yeah too, like right? a all yeah rating sort of thing and that, that rating system is sort of flipped over to video games and comic books just by proxy, yeah. right? Like, because everybody's familiar with that system. It happened so, too late for video games, I think, though. I think so, too. Well, I think what the problem with video games is that they're they're applying the same logic to movies that they would to a video game, right? They're going, well, it's just you know, it's just a video game. They're going to play it anyway. Um, I say this, and I, and I realize fully that my son was playing Call of Duty way before he should have been. But... My son also doesn't own any guns and doesn't have any desire to go out and kill people. He's a, you know, I don't think the video games cause that. I think it's, it, there's many, many factors in that. Yeah. But um, he also knew how to disengage from playing Call of Duty. Mm-hmm. He would play for a little bit and then he'd go, okay, this is too much for me and he would stop. And he'd play something else. But he's pretty good at self regulating. Yeah. And I think you just have to know your kid, right? Like, you yeah. have to kind of get to know. Like, I know, for example, my daughter could not play Call of Duty. She's too sensitive a kid. Yeah. Um, and I'm totally fine with that, you know? Like, I know her speed is Lego, the Lego games. Yeah. She's in Minecraft. And I am totally fine with that. Mark <laughs> Hamill just voiced Joker for a Lego movie. Oh, did he? Yeah. Awesome. Ah. I love that he still reprises that. I love I love the Lego games. They're brilliantly fun. I've heard nothing but good things about them. Yeah. We're playing Lego Avengers right now, the two of us, and we're on, we're having fun just unlocking characters. Like we unlocked the Hulk recently and my daughter is like that is it. She wants to play the Hulk. Every time we get on, she's the Hulk. <laughs> it doesn't matter if she's actually playing the game. I do all the puzzles. She just she gets to run around as the Hulk and smash things. And it's nice cuz like he's never been engaging to me as a character, right. but to see why kids think he's the coolest because like yeah my sat like because i'm still so far behind on all the marvel things because i'm burnt out i finally watched thor ragnarok this week with xander and he's like and he's just like loving the hulk and the way him and thor interacting and like yeah and it's so funny because like his logic is so like because things are illogical he's like why is he the god of thunder thunder's the noise Right. <laughs> right. And it's just like, me as an adult, I'm just like, probably because it sounds cooler. Like, like well, I'm the god of thunder. I explained it to, to Ella because I'm a geek. So, well, his actual title is he's the god of thunder and lightning and war. And she went, oh. <laughs> I was like, and now I've learned something. Now I know. <laughs> <laughs> he's actually her favorite character, for, like, of all the characters. Thor's her absolute favorite. Based off the live action things? Yeah. 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 Chris Hemsworth is but amazing. that's because she met Thor when we went to Disneyland. Oh. It wasn't cool. anything to do with the movies. She she loves Thor because she's met him and she held his hammer. So he's super cool. And it didn't slam to the ground. No, it didn't slam to the ground. He told her she was worthy. So, well, so there you go. There's a vote of confidence. Yeah. <laughs> as long so, as it doesn't go to her head. So he immediately became her favorite superhero, right? And uh, and then when we got to find when she got old enough where I could show her like the Avengers movie, we watched it and she cheered for Thor the whole time. And then the Hulk came out and threw Loki around, 
but when he <laughs> yeah yeah and Hulk became her new like it's Thor Hulk they're they're real close but when you get to actually be the Hulk in something did she watch Ragnarok Hulk. yeah she and I watched what Ragnarok what did she think together. during that whole time when they would put their hands on the thing and they would both be like the mightiest Avenger yeah <laughs> she didn't catch any of that joke because Aww. it's really it's really yeah. for guys our age right her favorite part was Hela she wants to be Hela for Halloween and then I had to explain to her well Hela's the goddess of death I don't know that you want to be death for Halloween. Who did they get to play her again? Kate uh, Blanchett. Right. And she's brilliant in everything I've seen her in, too. Yeah. I, absolutely. No, and just... There's certain actors and actresses, I guess just call them actors, that they're just brilliant in everything they do. They just seem to bring, like... It's like putting that star basketball player, like, you know, you know they're going to give you something amazing, yeah. right? Like, uh, Denzel Washington's another one of my favorites. Like, I everything that guy's in is just brilliant. Like... There are that list of actors where you're yeah. like, what was the last thing where they really just made a stinker, right? Like, I can't think of anything. You yeah. know, I can't think of a single movie Kate Blanche has been in that I haven't liked. That's been just awful. No. And it because I had to Google it because I saw her and I'm like, I know who this is. And then she did the thing where the hair turns into yeah. the crown, and I was just like, okay, I got to Google it during yeah. the movie. But then it's so funny because like. Xander's always like, I don't want to watch movies. They're too long. I want like episodes of stuff or whatever. Yeah. And the second he comes down and sees the Hulk in like the World War Hulk. Um, oh, outfit my favorite comics man. stops sits engaged for the yeah. rest of the movie and he's just like <laughs> what's funny is I had actually disconnected from reading superhero comic books around the time World War Hulk came out and then I saw the first issue on the shelf and I just I grabbed it I'm like I don't even need to know what's happening that's awesome what's his name that wrote it um, well John Romita Jr. drew the art so I mean that sucked me in right away but there was I can't remember who it was, but like, I was like people who take the time and he took the time and it was like, and it was, and it made sense to all of us. It's like, cause who were the, the Illuminati guys? Um, well, it was it Stark. Was Stark. It was Dr. Strange. Richards. It was Reed Richards. And um, it was um, Iron, Iron um, Man. Tony Stark. No, Stark. Yeah, Stark. Um, Stark, Richards, Strange. Strange. And then there was one other. Cause there was a good version and there was a bad version. That had Doctor Doom and um, yeah. Norman Osborn. Why can't I think of them? But yeah, they made the decision that okay, we need this guy off our Hulk planet. This is too dangerous. We gotta get him out of here. He's gonna so they threw him the on the planet. And I'm like, that's brilliant. And yeah, it gives him. And then like, because I think Planet Hulk was a good two year story. It was awesome about how he became the Green Scar and he married his yeah. queen and he fought his way up and like, yeah. and they finally found a way to put him somewhere where he was vulnerable, and they told a story about him and it was brilliant and then all of a sudden and then you cared about the the character of the Hulk yes because right? the Hulk is a really hard character to write I mean it's the same with Superman like how do you write a story that's compelling interesting and where you can put a character at harm who can't be harmed right the Hulk is the strongest creature in the, you know in all of existence he regenerates like a maniac the only creatures capable of doing any harm to him can't even kill him I mean like Wolverine and, and him can throw down because as he gets mad as he, he gets, gets more mad, powerful he, yeah he just gets more powerful and even the thing couldn't stop him right like, so how do you how do you write something compelling you put him in a place where everything is stronger than he is you have to explain why they're just That's stronger than me. he I gotta is google it because yeah you I know? would know the writer if I saw um, it I think it was Kurt Busiek I could be wrong uh, and, and but then you you develop him as a person not just as the Hulk and suddenly you give a crap about the character. And then when he came back to Earth um, in that ship, I mean, I got goosebumps, man. I was like, I flipped open that, that first cover and I was like, oh, 
Oh no! And he, yeah, because you know who he's looking for, right? Like, well, he, that big giant projection. He's holding up Mr. Fantastic or the Blue Bolt. It was the Black Black Bolt, Bolt was the other. Member. He's holding up Black Bolt. He stopped off at the moon. That was to the kick other member ass, of the. Right? And he's holding him up, and he's like Reed Richards, Tony Stark. I'm coming for you, and he throws him off the ship, and I was like, Oh no! <laughs> but that's also my greatest. Um, example of how not to end a story because mm-hmm. I hated Sentry from day one. Yeah. I never understood why they put Bob in the comics. Right. Pack. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Greg Pack, I think is his name. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. And yeah. he was the one and he did this beautiful like they shot him into space. He landed on this planet. For some reason his blood creates life. Beautiful idea that no one ever thought of, right? Right. So all of a sudden he went from being like the so dangerous where he was. Bad guy hero. Yeah, so, and yeah. all of a sudden he grants life, and he but he gets captured, and he has to fight his way up, and like, so they took, and I swear, Planet Hulk was two years, if not more. I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah, it was, I mean, the trade paperback was quite. But large. we knew where they were building yeah. to, right? Like at some point, at some point, he was going to come he home. He was coming home. Yeah, and it got to a point where like they had all those big events, like I yeah. think, um, House of M. Had Civil War happened yet? Maybe Secret Invasion had happened, but a few of the big... It was Civil War, then there was House of M, Secret Invasion, and something else. And And then then I think the World War War Hulk. Hulk. Yeah. And so, like, they had had a bunch of things, and I think... And it was just the timing was perfect. They brought him, and he crashed back down. It was like, your ship blew up my wife and killed her. And my baby. Yeah, and, and like, I finally had turned this crappy thing you did to me. You were my friends, and just... I like when they turn this puddle of goo into gold and yeah, now you've, and you've stuck your thumb in my eye again. And yeah. And it's just, yeah, yeah I was black bolt. Cause I remember in the issue at the end where, um, I think black bolt had threatened. He's like, don't make me do this. And Hulk's like, I'm going to make you scream. Yeah. <laughs> and just, and well, then, cause he grabs his wrists. Yeah. Right. And then he crushes them and he, he just lets off that huge yell boat in space. Right. And he's, yeah, He's holding on still as, as he's going crazy. But he was so mad. And it's just, yeah. yeah, Black Bolt. Yeah, that was, what were they called? I can't remember. The Inhumans, yeah. No, but there was that group that was like Stark, Richards, um, Strange, and Black Bolt. The four of them yeah, had a I specific can't name. Them, but, and yeah. then the Cabal was the evil version yeah. that was Doom, Doom and, Norman and Osborn. Um, oh, I can't. This bugs me. I think it was General Ross was in there too, wasn't he? Red, yeah, Red Hulk, yeah. and there was one other. I can't remember what her name was. Yeah. Um, Madame Medusa? Madame Hydra, maybe? I can't yeah. remember, but yeah, like, I don't know. I felt the right, that was the last kind of golden age of writing, but like, yeah, the Hulk thing was so well done, and then just in the end for it to be like, Bob saves the day. Yeah, like, Bob saved the day. Yeah, that part was kind of disappointing, but I mean, where would they go from there, right? I mean, at some point... Does the Hulk just realize what he's doing is wrong, or does he kill the four of them? And then, as a writer, it would be tough to walk your way out of that one. I yeah, think. yeah. Short of him killing the four of them, which is what you don't or want, or him right? dying himself, right? Yeah. I mean, but maybe, yeah. But everyone comes back. That's the other problem, right? Like, yeah. Well, there's that that too, right? With the, the, the I think that's one of the things that the comic books are really um, suffering from, right? Is there's no sense of finality. So if if you kill out, like remember Craven's last hunt, when he, like I remember I was, I mean that came out what in 1990, 1989 something. I like thought that. it was earlier than that. Could be 89, 88, 89 somewhere yeah. around there. 
And so, I mean, I was, I was a young kid, and I just got into reading Spidey. And and I love Michael Zek's artwork, by the way. And I've met him. He's a great guy. Um, I picked up Craven's Last Hunt because I was buying the Spider-Man comics. So it just, you know, Peter Parker's Spectacular Spider-Man, it came out in the run that I was buying. And when I got to that, that yeah. first issue, when he <clears throat> shoots Spider-Man, I thought he killed him. I was like, what the hell? He just killed off <laughs> Spider-Man. Then we're going up to my mom. I'm like, they killed Spider-Man. She's like, what? I said, look, they killed him. She's like, no, they couldn't have killed him. And I'm like, he is dead. <laughs> it's yeah. the next issue. They got look, him. mom, I need they're, a new superhero. They're throwing him in a, in a coffin. And, and I was invested, man. Like, yeah. I was like, I was counting the days till the next issue came out, right? Like, I was like going to, con- you know, uh, Regina Book Exchange because that's where I first started buying comics from. And I'm like, is it out yet? And he's like, no, no, dude, it's like three weeks, man. You got like, you got like a month before it comes <laughs> You need out. to calm down. And I'm like, no, no, I need it now. And, you know, and I was like so invested. And then I remember even at the end of the story going like, wow. Like, it wasn't disappointing to me that Spider-Man wasn't actually dead. Spoiler alert if you haven't read it. <laughs> Taking too long, too bad for you. The, the big thing at the end where Craven takes his own life. Even as a kid, I was like, wow. It's a huge finality <laughs> thing, right? You know? like, I mean, the, he, he took a character... That was honestly almost a joke, right? I mean, Craven the Hunter. That tier thing again, yeah. Like, and he made him into a person. And over four issues, I, I was like, wow, this guy's kind of interesting. He's had a weird life. It's neat. Boom, he's dead. And I was like, what the hell? <laughs> like, how dare you? <laughs> and and even, like, it wasn't just the, the suicidal part of it. It was more of just the fact that that character is now dead. Right, and they didn't bring him back for the longest time. Him and Uncle Ben would be the two big ones from that universe, from that like universe, the Spider Verse, yeah. right? That haven't come back yet. Yeah, because they even had, um, they didn't, and it was weird. It was a Daredevil story, the Kevin Smith right. one, with uh, Mysterio, where he figured out he had, um, it was a terminal cancer, I think. Right, and he went out of his way to like destroy Daredevil's life or whatever, and in the end, he shot himself. But yeah. then here you go, oh look, the whatever, he's still alive. The bullet only hit. Yeah. The, the part of my brain for smelling like it's just it was terrible right and I hate when they yeah. do that yeah and the big one for me was in DC in the 90s they had the full kind of turnover yeah um what was it well when they did Crisis on Infinite Earths and they were cleaning house Barry Allen right? like and they had wiped out like yeah. Barry Allen they wiped out all the Supergirl superheroes Supergirl so many of the characters how many people did Doomsday kill oh so many yeah. Didn't he kill off half the JLI? <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, yeah. In one, like in one stop, right? Like yeah. he basically brutalized them. But even like the Green, because like, I had just gotten into Green Lantern, and when I started buying it, there were thousands of Green Lanterns, and they in one fell swoop they like eliminated all but I think like eighteen of them, right? Like it was just like this core group of remaining survivors. Yeah that all suddenly came to Earth to live. So Earth was the most protected planet in the entire galaxy because we have 18 people that have the most powerful weapon on the planet. Unless you're yellow, <laughs> you might stand a chance. So um, to me, that was interesting to see them because I think DC had gotten to a point at that point where they couldn't even keep track of all of the continuity because they had been... There were so many different alternate universes and Earth, alternate one, two, three, four, five, and yeah. alternate galaxies that... 
trying to keep that all straight on a monthly basis would be just insane. Um, so they were smart to go through clean house and go, well, we want to keep these bits. And these are the important things to keep. Everything else can go. Uh, and things that, that I found were interesting that I spotted when I was reading through Crisis at the time because I was one of those weird kids that was into... I wasn't super into the DC superheroes at first. I was into more of the other stuff. So I was reading like Brave and the Bold and like the Ghost Tank stuff and the Sergeant Fury, uh, sorry, Sergeant Rock stuff. And like, um, what was the Western the weird Jonah Hex? Tales, Jonah Hex. Logan yeah. loves Jonah. My son loves Jonah Hex. Uh, he gets that from me, I think. The I weird. never watched the movie. <laughs> the movie's terrible. He's never seen the movie either. I've also never watched the Halle Berry Catwoman, though. So <laughs> That was also a terrible movie, yeah. I, I know before I even start. Yeah, it it was terrible because it wasn't... I think it's terrible because it was really not really a Catwoman movie. It wasn't about Catwoman. It was just a bizarre movie. It didn't make any sense, right? Like Anyway, it, it was just a bad movie. Um but I found, I, I liked how they included all of those guys into it too, mm-hmm. right? Like, you had the weird Viking that was running around World War Two. Oh right. Um, and then they had like the ghost, like the the rebel tank showed up. The ghost yeah. tank was there, and like all these characters that had no business being in the same room as like the Blue Beetle, and the Atom, and Superman, and but they were all standing there in that one room at that one point together, and I was yeah. like. How is Jonah Hex in here with like all these other cats? Like, yeah, like, and it was cool that they brought. He's got them all. six shooters. Like, what else? <laughs> he can, he's going to defend the Earth with his six, and he probably could pull it off if anybody could do it. Those twelve shots will do a lot of good. But it just it, to me as a kid, I even thought that's kind of bizarre, but kind of cool at the same time. They were all being included in this whole. It was so big, you needed every hero everything. from every reality yeah. to come yeah. together, and the Anti Monitor for that time was this big iconic villain yeah. right and now he's whatever right because they had right. torn tore him down through multiple crises yeah. again yeah i hate that word um yeah yeah and it's just that was my thing though is because now with they've rebooted everyone and like so when i finally moved here and started reading it was wally was my flash yeah kyle was my green lantern um connor hawk was my green arrow my Green Lantern's always been Hell Jordan. <laughs> but how many had they gone? Like, but then Earth had two, and they brought on yeah. John. Did Guy they bring Gardner, on John first or Guy? John. Well, John was first, and then there was Guy. John was in the 70s when they were doing a lot of socially um, aware comics. So they were really pointing out issues with apartheid and poverty. Oh, okay. and, I mean, you know, it's amazing. When I, when I go back and look at that stuff, it's amazing how much of that stuff still applies today. You know, when you're looking at social disparity and, and poverty and, and things like that, there's the same issues still there, you know, but they were twigging on it, you know, in the 1970s. And, and to me, I, I have to tip my hat at them and say, you know, it must have taken, like, balls to, to even erase those topics. Like, they have mm-hmm. Green Lantern even talking about drugs. And then to have his sidekick be addicted to drugs. Not just some third party character yeah. who didn't matter I forgot to any about Speedy. of the stories, yeah. right? But to show Speedy shooting up on the cover, I mean yeah. fucking mind blowing. And then to have Green Arrow and Green Lantern doing their tour of the United States where Green Arrow is showing him this is what's happening on the ground floor, man. You're living off in the clouds. 
was pretty stark. I mean, they were pointing out like the that you know it's not all about the cosmic bad guys. There's also like look at all the poverty and people are starving and there's you know all this violence happening on the streets because of people being fed up with what's going on. And there's a lot of it's funny because like, that was in the 1970s. We're looking at 2018, and right now there's <laughs> you know you've got this crazy refugee crisis where no one will take on these people that are being ousted from their homeland because they want to live and not get crushed by whatever regime is taking it over. No one wants to take them on. Yeah. So we're saying, no, not us, go to the next guy. No, not us, go to the next guy. And, and then you have poverty that's just out of control everywhere. And racial divide, has it ever been any more volatile than now? in every country like it's just it's insane to me how nothing's really changed we're just re-spinning that same record from you know 40 50 years ago and we haven't learned anything from it and so hopefully we can get that figured out what was mark hamill's line because he said in the 60s and with the beatles what was it it was like peace love happiness end war right and he goes now we're 40 years later yeah. And none of that has happened. No, we still don't have peace. We still We're don't have still love. We're still making war. We're still fighting over who believes what, over who believes this. And, it, and none of it makes any sense, does it? It's like, if we could all just get along as a species, man, we would be... Could you imagine what we could accomplish? Mm-hmm. If we could just not give a shit about anything but just surviving as a species. Be a decent human being. Yeah. Yeah, be kind to each other Stop out there. being an asshole. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's simple enough. Yeah. Um, I'll wrap us up there. That's exactly an hour and a half. Um, thank you for coming out. Um, hey, thanks for having me out again. Um, I can say that I'm a hundred percent not nervous for this one. That first one, I was like racking in stomach pain because I was just like, I bought this stuff and I went out of my way to like, okay, let's try and do something. Let's achieve something. Like, right. Let's let's keep, do it. Keep keep my brain busy and keep doing stuff while I'm now in a fifty fifty split with my son right and it's just yeah. instead of moping for a year and a half i wanted to sit down and right do something and i appreciate you um because it did take a lot to finally reach out and be like i need yeah. someone someone has I hear you come sit with me or whatever and just you help me get through that and it's hey, become on to the something, next 500 right? listens right we'll, yeah we'll like a thousand before you know it. i'll show you the stats once we wrap up here because it's amazing like and now like Ireland popped up and London, England popped up and I'm like, I don't know if they're flipping with like, it's obviously not like a remote control flipping through the channels and stopping. What the hell is this? Like someone came across my podcast and gave it a listen, right? And it's just, it's amazing. What just Hello to Ireland. Yeah. (laughs) And it's just, and the California thing, like I get it. California is a podcast culture. I I think it's not just California. I think that this is the thing. Being, being at our, our ripe old age of 45, almost um, seeing the way media has changed since I started like when I started off doing graphic design desktop publishing was just becoming a thing yeah so I've seen paper and even just if you look at the way we even listen to music now or the way we absorb any kind of content it's changed 110% right like it used to all be paper or you would go down to a record store you'd purchase your record or you would make a tape off the radio with your cassette recorder or or what have you and now with the invention of things like the internet and mp3s even the way people consume comic books has changed you've got comicology you've got netflix you've yeah. got like 
um, PDFs now instead of holding paper need in your hands. I love the paper in my, hand. in my hands. I'm old school. My daughter still likes to hold a book in her hands, which is it's amazing to me how many of the younger people are still into holding a book in her hands too. But um, if you look at things like traditional newspaper content or traditional even television news, people don't tune in. They don't, they don't want to wait till 6 p.m. to see the news. They want to know what's going on now. So they go on to YouTube and they go to a news channel online and they get their quick 30 seconds or 15 minute tidbit on what the news is. Yeah. And then they move on. So I think the the way we consume content is going to continue yeah. evolving for the next. And I do enjoy while. this long form yeah. conversation, uninterrupted, no ads, no right, no advertisements, no yeah, yeah. I listen to a lot of podcasts myself, and 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 when you're doing anything creative, it's nice to have that extra thing going on that you don't have to really think about it; it just plays in the background. Yeah. I like to listen to a lot of history podcasts, like uh, Things You Missed in History Classic of the Plug and uh, the Things You Should Know podcast because you learn things while you're not even trying to learn yeah. things which is kind of uh, nice you should go meet Mick Foley when he comes to town next month for the Rumble I've got my tickets booked because he yeah. is a enormous history buff Mick Foley I want a hug I'm coming for you man <laughs> they're sold out on all the VIPs so I hope you got that I got one okay yeah, oh, I, yeah. I'll have to schmooze since I used to get beat up there. <laughs> right on. Thanks hey, you again. had the guts to get in the ring, man. I got in the ring once and I almost hurt myself going in for a photo, so I hear you. Uh, I hurt myself on the way out, which is worse. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again. Thanks for having me, man.